the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hello, everybody. Pat Williams again here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. Uh, You're listening, of course, to 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word in Orlando. And we gather like this every weekend. Always happy when you plug in with us. And so is Alan Dempsey, our engineer who gets us on the air. And Andrew Herdliska, who produces these shows for us. Michael Strauss joins us in this first segment. He's in Birmingham. We're going to talk about uh, his new book. Uh, He's the author of the New Testament, a 21st century translation. Michael, welcome. Nice to chat with you, and thanks for joining me. How are you? I'm happy to participate. Michael, uh, let's dive right in. Uh, Author of the New Testament, a 21st century translation. Well, first of all, uh, congratulations for being the author of the New Testament. I'm joking. Um, I, I was going to correct you anyway. Yeah, well, that's good. That's good. We're off to a good start. Uh, t- tell me about the, what you've done here. I'm eager to hear it. Well, um, it, it, and it's funny because people sometimes say, would you sign this, you know, as the author? And it's like, well, I'm not the author. God's the author. But I have tried to convey what the words are. And in that regard, I've viewed this as a faith exercise um, in the sense that I, I wanted to hear um you know, what's the voice behind the Scripture, as it were, and try and convey that in very accessible and enjoyable and uh, down-to-earth language in the way we speak today. Michael, first of all, uh, tell us about your background and how you came to this point. Um, Well, I've studied uh, Greek um, at the graduate level at uh, Columbia University and the University of Cambridge in England, and also attended Divinity School, and I've always believed that those, I'd I'd have a way to kind of bring those all together, some of the things that I've experienced together. And so um, I felt, I think it's fair to say, sort of inspired to turn my hand to um, the text of the New Testament in Greek, and I've been working on this for a number of years, and uh, refined it, and tried to see if I could presented in a way where the individual writer's voice comes through, as well as the, the unique and, and approachable character of Jesus as a person. So those are a couple of things I've aimed at. Michael, why another translation? Well, you know, there, there are um, many translations out there, absolutely, some very, very good that I admire. Um, and then there are some that are commonly used that, just to be honest, without criticizing one or another in particular, I, I think are a little flat. And and so uh, they are not, um, they're kind of the results of a compromise work of a committee of many people. And I think we have to realize that the book says actually written, speak with the voice of someone who had a personal experience and uh, was not compromised by trying to balance one person against another. So uh, I thought it was time to step back and say, um, is there a fresh way of looking at it? I think each generation should look at the Scriptures uh, fresh and new, so it doesn't become too familiar. It should always challenge us. Michael, what is your advice on the best way to read and then study uh, the New Testament? Well, obviously, prayerfully, I think regularly, and I think the way I've written this, instead of Breaking it up into verse by verse, you'll see, people will see, I hope, that I've eliminated verse numbers. Uh, It's really written in paragraphs and whole thoughts and moves along almost like a novel, certainly in the book of Acts. And so I think um, the best way to read it um, is not piecemeal, but sort of a whole book at a time, if, if people really can set aside the time to do that. Where did verses and numbers come from? Excellent question. I'm not sure anybody knows exactly, but they're really 
came hundreds and hundreds of years after the writings. Uh, I think they were done probably as a way of trying to refer so people could do, uh, you know, chapter and verse, as we say. Um, but that, frag- that tends to fragment the thinking and fragment the argument. And, you know, a lot of what Paul wrote was meant to persuade people and to reason through something. And if you break it up into too many little chunks, well, you just lose the forest for the trees. My guest is Michael Strauss. Uh, let's um, let's be Matthew for a minute, Michael. And uh, he, he, at some point, uh, God speaks to him and says, Matthew, I want you to write down everything you learned. You think that's what happened? No, I think that what, what happened is, and we have to use our imaginations, is that many people, of course, heard Jesus and, and, and walked with him and preserved in their own minds particular stories they thought were, you know, especially memorable or something that spoke to them. And uh, over the course of time, but I don't think that much time had elapsed, people realized that they wanted to be able to set this down in, a, in an orderly way for not only themselves then, but for future uh, generations. And so I think he gathered a lot of the thoughts, probably had a number of his own, things he remembered, um, and was illustrative of some particular aspect of Jesus. So he focused, I think, on Jesus' fulfillment of Old Testament scriptures. Uh, Mark had a similar uh, way of, communi- of, of approaching this, but his focus seemed to have been on action and mir- miracles. And, and so each, each writer had some special approach. And that's why when I translated Matthew, I used, uh, instead of using the word, the name Jesus, I used Yeshua, which is closer, which is more like the Hebrew would have been. I noticed that you use Yeshua throughout. Um, that's unusual, isn't it? Well, it's uh, it, it tends to be used in uh, Messianic Jewish uh, mm-hmm. worship, so it's it's unusual in translations. I think that's true, but I in other translations I use uh, Jesus. So. I often did not translate the same word exactly the same way, depending on the context, as a way of saying, don't assume everything's the same all the time and and uh, approach it differently and freshly so it doesn't become too stale. It's not always the same, and I think that's part of the enlivening of the Scriptures. Let me go back and uh, be Matthew for a minute. Uh, what was his writing instrument? What was he writing on? Well, he would have been writing, assuming he was physically writing, not sort of dictating and having helpers, um, probably on uh, papyrus, which is very, very fragile, um, made from reeds. And, of course, it's where the word paper comes from. Um, And then it would have been transferred over time to other more permanent forms of preserving writing, uh, probably long after Matthew lived, onto vellums of sheepskin um, and and so we don't have the actual original piece of paper, as it were, of any of the books. We have uh, copies from whatever those original manuscripts were, some very, very early, uh, and some later. When um, Matthew finished, do you think he thought, mm, this is for the ages? I have just written a piece of Scripture here. And I'm sure it was a very humbling moment, um, because it's, a, it's, a, it's an awesome responsibility, and honestly, I approached it the same way. Um, you can't, you, it's not about you yourself, it really is about um, handling the Word of God. So I think the fact that Matthew ends with uh, Jesus' commission, I think Matthew felt that this was uh, something written for those coming after him, and I think would have been very, as I said, humbled, but also um, peaceful. My guest is Michael Strauss. Uh, he's the author of the New Testament, a 21st century translation. Uh, I have a copy of this uh, sitting on my bedside table, and every evening I uh, read a chapter or two. Very refreshing. Um, it, it's well worth getting, folks. Uh, we have another segment with Michael uh, from his home in Birmingham, Alabama. We're going to continue to talk about 
the New Testament, uh, 21st century translation. Uh, Just a reminder, uh, this is the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. For many, many years, right here on 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word in Orlando, we have gathered like this, and it's a privilege to talk to some of the most fascinating Christian leaders, authors, discoverers, you know, in the country. And so we're always very, very pleased when you plug in with us. We'll be right back. Michael Strauss is in Birmingham, Alabama, author of the New Testament, a 21st century translation. Michael, uh, what goes through your mind at the end of the book of John when you read there is so much more that could have been written. Uh, all the libraries in the world couldn't contain it. Something like that. How do you react? Sorry. How do you react to that? I, I think that's one of the most fascinating lines in the whole scripture because it lets us know that um, not everything that went on uh, has been conveyed to us. It's it's almost like it's a need to know basis. Um, and that there's much more that we may discover um, ultimately when we meet the Lord, um, but that the things that are written down are, in fact, what, what are the essentials and important um, material, and um, that we can Im- add to it with our own lives, I think. Well, think of all the libraries there are. And uh, that which was not recorded couldn't contain them all. My goodness! And and this, uh, uh, Michael, all happened with about you know what in about a thousand days of public ministry. Uh, a very compressed, short period of time, as far as we can tell. Absolutely. Um, and then we have of course, we have the additional information, but again, it's not complete. We don't know everything that happened with all the apostles, and we really only know a lot about what happened uh, in Paul's life. We don't really know all the things that the others did and where they went, and I have a feeling you could fill many, many more libraries with that, too. Mm. How do you treat the Apostle Paul in your uh, translation? Very respectfully, I hope. Um, I think that uh, Paul is, you know, in, in some popular um, mischaracterizations um, viewed as, you know, harsh or, or hectoring or lecturing, and I think I've tried to convey that there's a great amount of pastoral care he exercised over his various churches, that he um, cared deeply about the people individually as well as parishes, you want to call them parishes or home churches. Um, that he was an amazingly um, gutsy and courageous person who suffered a lot of hardship. And so I've also focused in a way that doesn't always come through on his persuasive skills um, and his ability to write in a a logical, lawyerly, I think, way uh, in order to work through some very complex and difficult theological issues. And I've tried to make them uh, more intelligible, in part by dispensing with things like verses. It really, it really writes in sections of thought. If you could sit with Maya, with uh, the Apostle Paul right now, Michael, what, uh, what would you want to ask him? I'd want to ask him a little bit more about chapters 9 through 11 of the Book of Romans. Which, really? Yeah, because to me it's so much the heart of trying to understand the entire sweep of God's plan, particularly... Uh, how he understood and how he sees God fully bringing in the times of the Gentiles and restoring Israel. Hmm. Is it safe to say that Paul was a genius? Oh, I think that's a very safe statement, Pat. I think the comprehensiveness of his knowledge and his ability to take the most difficult issues and re-present them and work them through methodically, um, is a sign of great genius. I've often wondered what Jesus thought of Paul. Well, uh, I I think Paul would say that he hoped Jesus felt he was a good and faithful servant. Mm -hmm. I think he would have, too, and does. Mm. 
Michael Strauss is our guest. Uh, the book is called The uh, New Testament, <clears throat> a 21st Century Translation. <clears throat> you uh, have said these words, Michael. My goal is a user-friendly translation at once enjoyable, novelistic, and at times poetic. <clears throat> Let's cover those three words. Uh, enjoyable, well, novelistic, and poetic. Well, enjoyable in that I've tried to sometimes uh, bring out the humor as well as the practicality um, and the earthiness of many of Jesus' parables. Um, and I think uh, some of them should make people smile because they're they're very um, human in, in the most positive sense. Novelistic, um, I think that uh, you know, a novel weaves together the lives and the complexities of its characters, introduces them on the stage, carries them through the events of their lives to the end. And the Gospels are very novelistic in that regard. I think the Book of Acts is novelistic. So I've tried to write it in good English prose, um, the way you might write history, uh, at least in parts of it. And poetic... Uh, People undersell the poetry of the New Testament. Obviously, the, the Old Testament with the Book of Psalms is very poetic, as are the prophets. Um, but much of the New Testament also includes extremely elevated language. You see it in the, in the letter to the Colossians, for example. And you particularly see it in the Book of Revelation, which people, for some reason that I've never quite understood, seem to be wary of. Uh, but I've tried to write it in a way that um, conveys in words something that can't be conveyed in words, in the sense that poetry allows us to use our imagination, have words trigger thoughts and images in a way that isn't as straightforward always. Um, but we have to remember that John was you know, in the throne room of heaven trying to convey this swirl of imagery, and that's very poetic. Michael, I want you to uh, explain to us the long domination of the King James Version of the Bible and how we should view that uh, translation today. I think we should um, honor it. I think we should continue to read it. I think the long domination of the, new, of the King James is precisely because the English is just so good. And... Uh, so I have, you may have noticed, woven in from time to time uh, words, the exact words, phraseology from the King James, such as the Lord's Prayer or verses like John 3.16, where you can't really improve on it. And I think it's important not to um, just discard something that just because it's hundreds of years old, but believe reflects a very faithful commitment, and it is written largely in the words of William Tyndale, who was martyred for his translation. And so it's not surprising that it is long dominated, because it's now permeated our thought, permeated our culture, even people who are not Christians. So I, I, I treasure the King James, quite honestly. I want you to talk about the rhythm of the King James and the force of the style. The force of the, of the style, and style is important. You don't want to have style completely overwhelm things. But it is written in a way that you can remember, uh, and that's what poetry can do. That's what good style can do, that there's cadence and rhythm, and that's why people find it easier to remember words as they were written in the King James, even today. And I would I would sort of defy anybody to tell me that they've memorized verses from the Revised Standard Version, which is not as memorable. And we have lost a lot of the strength of English in many common writings in our newspapers and so on, but I think it's important not to lose that, um, because the strength of English really came into its high watermark through the King James. What is the best translation to memorize from? You know, I'm going to come back to it. I think it's 
most of the verses that I have by memory are from the King James. Um, if I had to pick one, I wouldn't try and memorize great long passages, but particular verses that are important to somebody, um, they stick in your mind, don't they? Yes, they do. Uh, what's the best way to <clears throat> read your Bible? Uh, a little bit every day? Long passages? What do you want people to do? I think, uh, ideally, uh, it should. I would like people to read it in larger sections than just maybe one chapter, just because I think that's the way it was written. There were not chapter diverse verses uh, divided up originally. And so take a letter, maybe even take part of a letter, uh, take some portion of the Gospel, and just quietly read through with no distractions. I think that's true uh, generally in reading, but it's particularly true with the Bible, isn't it? Because uh, we want to absorb it, absorb the thoughts, and absorb the message. My guest is uh, Michael Strauss. When did you first fall in love with God's Word, Michael? Uh, When I was, well, I would say when I was 20 when I became a Christian, but I was familiar with it before that, but I would say when it, it's when it first came alive. Um, and, and what triggered it? What happened? Oh, well, I was uh, hitchhiking across the country, actually, and I met people from what is now referred to as the Jesus People Movement um, out in Oregon, and it was there that uh, I committed my life to Christ, and uh, I realized I didn't know anything, essentially, about what I just committed myself to. So for the entire next year, the only book I read was the Bible. Mm. Um, and that that solidified the base for me, so to speak. I, honestly, that's a year in which I didn't read Time magazine or the newspaper or any other books. I just immersed myself, almost in a way like Paul going off into the desert when he was first... Um, he had his first encounter with the Lord um, in order to to immerse himself in what he had committed himself to. Mm. What do you want people to do now? Now, we've talked about your Bible and a few of the high points. Uh, tell me the action steps for people. Well, I would love for people to <clears throat> get a copy for themselves. Uh, it's available very easily on Amazon. I suppose you just go to their search page and put in my name, which is spelled S-T-R-A-U-S, and the New Testament, 21st Century Translation, and it should come right up. Uh, I've shared it with a number of pastors who I know who have been using it, actually, in their worship services from time to time when they're doing readings, and people have responded very well. Um, I've had similar experience in using this translation in the Bible study that I've conducted in our local church. And and people have felt that they were reading Paul for the first time, for example, which is wonderful. Hmm. Well, it's fascinating, Michael. What's next for you? What do you do after you write the Bible? <laughs> you know, I'm tempted to turn to translating from the Greek version of the Old Testament, which is what the apostles used. But I'm going to hold off for a little bit. I think I'll spend a little time with my family over the summer. This has just come out, and it's been a great pleasure. But I'm going to be doing uh, readings and book signings and and wonderful interviews like this, Pat. And that will occupy me, I hope, for a while. Are you uh, challenged by the Old Testament? Um, In a very positive way, yes. Uh, I think that it's, it's really essential for us to view this scriptures as a unity. Uh, we do talk about the old and the new, and sometimes that's not uh, really to the best benefit. After all, the, the Hebrew scriptures were Jesus' Bible in its entirety, mm-hmm. and so much of what we have come to believe and understand uh, is <coughs> continuous throughout with Jesus as the fulfillment of many, many scriptures, and I believe that can only deepen someone's faith. The Old Testament can be overwhelming to people, Michael, so uh, uh, I would urge you on to, uh, (laughs) when you get to catch your breath and get well-rested, there's a good challenge for you. Thank you, Pat. Good. Michael Strauss has been our guest. 
author of the New Testament, a 21st century translation. Uh, get your copy, put it by your bedside table, and uh, spend some time in it each day. Uh, we've got more <clears throat> right after this. <clears throat> Excuse me, just a reminder uh, that you're plugged into the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour right here on 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word, in Orlando. And uh, don't touch those dials. Just keep them plugged in all day long, and uh, you'll uh, benefit from that. More after this. Uh, stay with us. Michael Strauss, our guest in that first segment from Birmingham, Alabama, Tamara LaRue is with us from Houston. She's uh, co-founder of Life Change International, author of A Second Chance at Heaven. Tamara, so nice of you to join me. How are you? I'm doing well, Pat. Thanks for having me on today. Uh, I am curious about uh, Life Change International. You're the co-founder. What, what is that organization about? You know, my husband and I started this uh, organization, and the Lord put it on our hearts as an avenue to really reach out to the hurting. And so we began a ministry starting in the prison system, uh, began working into a prison system full-time. My husband goes in every week. I go in as often as I can. And then we it just began to grow. We began to uh, speak all over the, the world. God has blessed us to go into more than 40 countries, uh, almost on every continent. And in addition, we have began um, doing outreaches. We are very strong supporters of Israel. We are doing our best to help those prophecies become fulfilled that God told us how all the Jews would go back and return to Israel. So we are supporting the return to help make Israel strong. And in addition to that, we're also helping with the orphanages and helping build churches in remote places on on continents where um, they don't have the luxuries that we do here in America. And so it's just an outreach to try and administer the gospel all over the world to people who won't step in a church. Uh, <clears throat> what have you learned from your ministry in prisons? That all people are equal. We're just we're all broken in different areas and in different ways. And most of the people um, who are, have ended up in prison are there because of their brokenness, not because that they um, are just evil. Some of them have, a, have turned to evil because of their brokenness, and when you get really down to that core, I have learned that God's grace and His mercy, it doesn't matter what you have done, His grace and mercy is never-ending. I have seen people who were classified as the evil of evilest. I have met them face-to-face, and I can tell you I've seen the power and the love of God flow through them and transform them into some of the most gentle teddy bears. It's amazing. Mm. It's absolutely amazing to see people who get a hold of Christ and and get a hold of God's love and really understand the purpose of the cross, how it totally transformed their lives. And we see it over and over and over again. Tell me, Tamara, tell me about your book, A Second Chance at Heaven. What are you right here? What are you telling us? You know, A Second Chance at Heaven is, you know, my story of where, you know, the Lord took my brokenness down a journey of depression and loneliness, and I ultimately went into uh, the state of suicide. And so I tell my story, because not only did I go down the attempted suicide route, but Pat, I actually committed suicide. Mm. I succeeded in my journey, and I left my body. And I went into eternity, and the Lord raised me from that. And I want to tell you, that's what my book is about. It goes into great detail. And I want to share with with all of our listeners today that you're not alone. When it comes to suicide, when it comes to the brokenness, the emptiness, you know, here in America, we live in a culture where, you know, we pride our careers and our jobs, we find our identity. In, in what we do for our living, in what family we're found in, what friends we run in. And when we hold that to be true, there is an emptiness on the side of every person. And that is why we are seeing successful people who have obtained it all, you know, have obtained the American dream, 
going down the path of, of depression and suicide. You know, Pat, suicide is taking our nation. It is in not just the top 10, but it is the second number two of what is killing our young adults. It's number three. If your age is from 10 to 50, it is the second and third reason why people are dying. And that is a travesty. And that is why I've written my book, A Second Chance at Heaven, because I want to speak out and I want to let people know that there is hope. There is an answer. And that answer is not suicide. The answer is found in Christ. And I say that from a person who didn't grow up in church, a person who knew God was real. But I felt like God was too good to send me to to hell. I felt like I was basically a good person. And I didn't understand what it meant to be fallen into sin, to be born into sin. And so when I went down that journey, I had gone through a divorced, a divorced home. I didn't have a sense of belonging. I felt rejected at every turn. I was lonely on the inside. But yet on the outside, I was this bubbly, happy person. But on the inside, I was dying, and I had an emptiness. And I looked at life, and I said, you know what? It doesn't matter if I'm drinking with my friends. I'm broken. It doesn't matter if I've got all my family around me, I'm hurting. It didn't matter what I tried. It didn't matter what I did. The emptiness and the despair on the inside of me would go away. And so, Pat, I turned to the unthinkable, a topic that nobody wants to talk about, but is ravishing our young people. Mm. I, I chose the, the route of, of suicide, and I cried out to God, and I said, God, please forgive me. Forgive me for what I'm about to do, because I knew that I wouldn't be able to ask for forgiveness, but I knew what I was going to do was going to be the final. It was not a cry for help. It was, I am not going to live my life if I have to live it this broken and empty. And so I went, and I got my mother's 38 caliber gun. My dad traveled, and so she kept a weapon beside her bed for protection at night. And I went in and I took that, what my mom had meant for good for our family. And I took that weapon and I went into my mother's shower and I shut and locked the doors. And I cried out to God and I said, oh God, please forgive me for what I'm about to do. And I took that 38 caliber gun and I placed it to my head. And I heard this voice telling me, take it from your head and place it at your heart. And I describe all of those details of the moments and what I was thinking and what I went through in, inside my book. But I, the gun went off. Mm. And when that gun went off, it missed my heart less than a fourth of an inch. It should have exploded my heart. And at that moment, when my lungs were filling up full of blood, and I could no longer see, I could no longer hear, I knew I took in my last breath. And Pat, my soul left my body, and I was completely conscious. My physical body now was no longer working, and my soul was completely aware of everything going on. And I began traveling faster than the speed of light, and I began falling and falling and falling. And I knew I was no longer in control of my destiny and my destination because I had already made my decision. And I landed in a place, and when I landed there, there was a powerful eruption. It was like a fire hose blowing from the inside out and the outside in. It was burning every molecule of my being. It was a sulfuric-type burn, and all I could do was scream in the utmost agony. And the pain on earth that I thought was all-consuming wasn't even a grain of sand worth the pain that I was experiencing now. There's no pain even comprehensible on the planet, in earth, on our physical being that we know it, that could even describe what I was going through. And I'm screaming out, I'm in this pain, and I'm still calling out to God to forgive me. And I look out and I see just a, a sea of people just 
more people than you can count, and they're all being tormented just like I am. And there were people very close to me, but we were not allowed to speak with one another. But I could look at them, and the spiritual world is completely transparent. And I could look at them, and I could see them, and I knew their lineage, I knew who they were, I knew everything about them, every sin they had ever committed, everything they had ever done wrong. And nothing mattered except the fact that we didn't bow our knee to Jesus Christ, that He is truly the great I Am. And I realized, you know, it's, it's all the scriptures that tell us how we are sealed and how our enemy knows we are sealed with the power of God when you accept Christ as a Christian. It's because the transparent world is, is spiritual, and it can see and it can tell who we belong to. And I could tell we did not belong to Christ because we had made the decision not to. And as we are screaming out, my heart rises up to God, and I am screaming out, God, send someone back to the earth. Send someone back to tell them the truth, to tell them what is real, and that it's not about religion. It's not about who or what you and I want to believe. It's not about theologians. It is about the cross. It is about there is one God and only one God, and there is one way to get to heaven, and that's all that matters. It matters is that we bow our knee and make Jesus our master. And I'm crying out to, to God to send someone there, and I'm looking out and I'm seeing there's different levels, there's different chambers of where I was. There were horrid preachers. There were all kinds of things. And when I began to look out, where I was, I could see the heavens, I could see God, I could see the entire universe. The earth was like it was magnified, and I could see the heavens, and I thought, I'm still crying out for God to forgive me. His gracious hand pat comes and picks me up, and it carries me out of where I was, and it carried me over the vast expanse, and I immediately was immersed in God's love. And I knew right then that was where my void was. That was where all my pain came from. All of my lack stemmed from the lack of the presence of God in my life. And I was filled and cleansed with His love. And I mean, the colors, the colors themselves are living in heaven. And I was not allowed to stay. I was not allowed to talk to the people there. But I was allowed to have the revelation of who God was in His majesty. I was allowed to see the love and the presence and the unity that existed there. And so when I leave heaven, the vessel of God brings me back into the universe, lays me back into my body, and I could breathe again, I could see again. And it was a miraculous way of how the ambulance got there in record time and how they took me to the hospital they didn't even want to bother taking me to the hospital because they knew that I was had the pallor of death upon me. I was I was gray, <laughs> and they knew. But what they didn't know is I had already been dead. God had raised supernaturally. The cardiologist sat by my bed day and night. He would come at wee hours in the morning, two or three o'clock in the morning, and he would sit at my bedside staring at me. And when I was released from the hospital, he took my mom in there and in, in his office and he threw away all the medical bills, and he said, I cannot charge you one thing because I did nothing for you. You are a living miracle, and there's no reason, physical reason, man of logic, no medicine, no science reason why you should be alive today. Mm. And so that is God's mercy and God's love, and I can't answer to people, Pat, and tell them why me. Why did God give me a second chance when I cried out? All I know is that the Scripture teaches anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And the Scripture teaches us that it is in Him where we find all of our answers. He's the one that fills our joy. And so I have learned that serving Christ goes way beyond the church walls. It goes way beyond our Sunday services. It goes way beyond doing what is morally right. It comes in that personal relationship with Christ. And when we bow our heart 
to serve him, then that is when we get freedom. That is when that void is filled through his spirit. And that's what being born again and becoming a Christian is all about. It's about being immersed in God's presence and in his love. And, you know, when I realized all of this and I have all of this knowledge, you know, I come back and, and here I now I have to live with a stigma of suicide. And this is a message that I want to tell anybody who has ever gone down the road of despair and you've gone down the road of suicide. The opinions of men do not matter. Tamara LaRue is our guest. Her book is Second Chance at Heaven. Uh, we're going to be back after this break. You're listening to the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. It's 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word in Orlando. Tamara LaRue is with us. She's in Houston. Her book is called A Second Chance at Heaven. Tamara, uh, talk to parents who might be dealing with a, a teen struggling with depression and suicide. What do you tell them? What, what's your advice? The advice is to, to tell parents to love your children. Love them beyond seeing them quickly throughout the day and rushing them through the schedule and tucking them in bed at night. Love them enough to sit down with them and tell them how valuable they are. It's so important. You know, the, the, the Bible, the Scripture tells us to train up a child in the way he should go and he will not depart from it. It is so important with the battering of social media, with the way kids are treating each other on our school grounds, the way we're learning that there is no God. It is so important as, as parents that we hug our children every day, that we love them, we tell them they have value, and that God has created them with a purpose, that he's created them for a plan in their life. And he gave them their personality because only they can do what God created them to do. Nobody else can do it. And we need to be teaching our children the purpose and their value is found in their, in their creator. Their value is not found in the opinions of other people. It's found in who they were born to be and that in, in teaching them where they can find their purpose. And oftentimes as parents, we don't know ourselves that. And this is one of the struggles because many parents don't know how to teach their children. And so I encourage parents, go on this journey together with your children. Read scriptures with them. Encourage them because true hope and faith only come from reading God's Word and strengthening our spirit and having the faith that God will take them through every situation and every circumstance. And so, you know, as a parent, we can't leave it up to the churches or the schools to teach our children. We have to be the front and center, teaching our children what is right, teaching them that they have hope and teaching them that whatever circumstance that they are facing is temporary. It is not permanent. And they can go through this situation because the Lord will give them the strength when they turn to Christ. You know, our school systems are teaching our children that they have no value, they have no purpose, that they just were born in some um, accident and, and that they just live life and then they just go away. And who knows where that happens. And they're being fed a constant diet of the beliefs of evolution every single day. And if we do not take them and begin teaching them the scriptures as parents, nobody else will. It's our job to do that. And I am convinced that when we love our children in this way, they will move away from depression because they will know their purpose. They will know their value. And they will begin to see themselves like Christ sees them, not the way Hollywood puts out that people should be. And, and teaching our children to, to discern truth from lies, you know, teaching them how to discern the difference between a truth and a lie. It's so crucial because I know through my journey, I have had to renew my mind, and I've had to take God's Word, and I've had to look at the way I saw myself versus the way God sees me. And I've had to take that path and apply it to my life every day. And that's what I'm teaching my children to do. 
and teaching them that they have a choice. They can follow after the way the world does things, or they can follow after Christ. And when they follow after Christ, that's the only place that they're going to find the joy and the peace that surpasses all understanding. My guest, and uh, what a story, Tamara LaRue, co-founder of Life Change International. Uh, I am curious where uh, Mr. LaRue came along, and uh, where does he fit in this story, Tamara? You know, my Prince Charming God was so gracious to send me uh, the man um, of my dreams and the man that is carries me and is so strong. And, you know, I, I met him 20 years ago, or over 20 years ago, and we've been together, and the Lord has used him in such a mighty way. And we are together in serving Christ. We are together in supporting Israel. And he... He is truly a man that takes his family and leads them to the foot of the cross. He is a man who prays with us. He is a man that turns to God's Word. And every time we have a struggle, whether it be health or whether it be uh, drugs or, you know, whatever is coming into our home, he takes us to the Word of God. And he says, this is what God says. So we're not going to believe what we're seeing with our eyes. We're going to believe, we're not going to deny the facts, but we're going to believe the truth, because he understands that the spiritual world is what operates the physical world, and he understands that when our mind and our will align with the Word of God, that activates our faith and far surpasses any circumstance or situation, and that's how we overcome the mountains in our lives. And so I am so grateful to have a man of God in my life that is willing to get in the trenches and is willing to go into the prison system, willing to go to the homeless, willing to go to the people who have what they think is nothing and begin to give them the hope of Christ. And he not only does that outside of our home, but he does it in the center of our home. And so I'm very grateful uh, for him that we can go in and share the message of love and hope um, to people who may not ever hear it on radio stations or, or in churches or, or don't have that opportunity. Tamara, I'm curious about how people have responded to your book, A Second Chance at Heaven. People, you know, it's amazing how many people, Pat, that come up to me and say, you know, I've gone down this journey, but nobody knows. I'm amazed at the, at the number of people that come and tell me that, and they thank me for my boldness and my courage to be able to speak out. And I tell them my boldness isn't for me and neither is my courage. It's all the work of Christ in my heart um, because I understand what's on the other side. And we have gotten so many testimonies of people being saved and delivered from depression and suicide who actually began to walk down this journey and give their life to Christ. The testimonies are endless. We see miracles, not just miracles of the heart, which are the most important miracles of all, where people are, are changing their lives and they're able to really experience the true joy that God desires for us. But lives that we are seeing, that people being healed miraculously, we've seen blind of the eyes open before our eyes, literally. We've seen crippled people get up and walk. We've seen people healed of tumors and cancer. I, I can't tell you of all the miracles that we have experienced watching, not only within our family, but in other people who are coming to Christ, the miracles that are transforming within them. We've seen people who have been addicted to drugs for years who have cried out and cried out to be healed and delivered. And the moment they begin to pursue the needs of God and not their own, they are set free from years of bondage of alcohol and drugs. We've seen people with sexual addictions and addictions to pornography set free completely after giving their lives to Christ and walking out the journey of putting the service to God and obedience to God above their own needs and seeing their lives turn from poverty and lack to abundance and prosperity over and over again. And that's the response that we're seeing from, from, from the Second Chance of Heaven. 
And, you know, Pat, and it's not my book that's doing it, and it's not my testimony that's doing it. It's the truth of the gospel. And when we grab a hold of the truth of the gospel, and my story is just one more testimony, just like your testimony and so many others' testimony that testify that the cross is real, that Jesus is real. And so that is what is so powerful about, you know, the story that God has given me and, and, and has allowed me the opportunity to bring it forth to the public, is that it doesn't matter how far you think you are from God, you're not. My guest has been Tamra LaRue. What a story. What a life. What a book. A second chance at heaven. We have a wrap-up right after this on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. This is 94.9 FM and AM 950 The Word in Orlando. Thanks so much for joining us here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. Uh, Michael Strauss was with us in that first segment, author of the New Testament, a 21st century translation. Uh, Great to visit with him. And then Tamara LaRue was with us from Houston uh, talking about her story, A Second Chance at Heaven. I'd like you to check out my most recent book. It's called Character Carved in Stone. Uh, we take a look at the 12 benches at Trophy Point on the campus at West Point. A chapter on each one of those 12 words carved into the stone benches. <clears throat> I think you'll uh, find the book very, very interesting. Go up to Amazon. Always a good way to order books. And uh, we'll be back next weekend, folks, for more on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. You're listening to 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word in Orlando. Uh, Stay tuned to those stations all day long, and you'll be the beneficiary. See you next weekend. Have a great week ahead. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.